Welcome to Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. Show Me the Money is a podcast that is bringing in industry leaders in the commercial real estate sector that are either on the financing side, the development side, the acquisition side, disposition, brokers, investors, bankers, management companies, everyone that's in and out of the the business and all um, facets of the trade so that hopefully you can benefit if you're looking to grow your business, start your business, or maybe transition into something else. We have a very exciting guest today, Kyle Matthews from Matthews Real Estate. He was nice enough to allow me to host the show here in Nashville, right downtown, where a lot of action is happening. So uh, we are here in his studio. We're excited to hear exactly what is happening and transpiring in the market from his perspective, how he's looking at his company, some personal perspective, as well as business side of things. So enjoy and have a great day. Thank you. Right. Today we have Kyle Matthews, our next guest on Show Me the Money. This will be a great episode. And so, Kyle, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me. Yes. So, um, a little bit about Kyle's background. Kyle is the founder, chairman, and chief executive officer of Matthews Real Estate Services, a commercial real estate and technology firm with 18 offices and over 600 personnel nationwide. The firm is a leader in commercial real estate brokerage, providing advisory services and transactions, leasing debt capital markets since Kyle founded the company in 2015. Matthews has become the fastest growing commercial real estate firm in the country, is the largest privately held brokerage platform in the U.S., and has successfully held close over 14,600 transactions, totaling $41 billion in sales volume. Very impressive. Kyle has an extensive background in the industry with an aggregate value of $9 billion in transaction volume. In 2022 alone, Kyle led Matthews to complete $14.25 billion in sales, closed over 4,500 transactions, a 56.4% increase year over year. Prior to starting Matthews, Kyle served as VP of Investments, thereafter Executive VP at two publicly traded commercial real estate brokerage firms. In each of these roles, he was recognized for his client-focused commitment to results and ability to train and mentor teams to execute top sales. As a producer, he was viewed as an authority in the field of private client capital transactions, as well as a top performer industry-wide in both the shopping center and net lease transactions. Kyle has an extensive list of notable clients, including most of the global institutional real estate companies, in addition to the U.S.-based publicly traded REITs, privately equity funds, development companies, and high net worth private family offices. He graduated from none other than University of Southern California, Go Trojans, and was a member of the 2004 National Championship team. Again, Kyle, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on, and uh, thank you for for being a guest on our show. I appreciate you inviting me. Yes, this is a very special guest. I hope our... um, Viewers, enjoy this, and uh, Kyle's time is precious, so thank you very much for taking the time to do this. It's all good. So, Kyle, just jumping right into it, um, you know, what has last year looked like for you and the team here at uh, Matthews? The last year, like this year, 2023? You know, maybe 22 going into 23, really, you know, when everything has kind of really been a transitional mode. It's been a dogfight. You know this. It's been a really tough market. Um, Transaction velocity is down what north is 60% across the industry. Um, Obviously heavier in office, maybe lighter industrial, but mid 60s. I know, 
you know, a lot of the publicly traded brokerage companies and in, in their Q2 earnings uh, reports came out and they were down huge in capital markets, specifically investment sales and debt origination, right? Yes. Uh, unfortunately for you unfortunately and I. Unfortunately for us, yes. I know it, but, um, but you know, so it, it's been it's been tough. I mean, the truth is, as hard as it's been, our, our numbers look nothing like that. In fact, we see a path to possibly beating last year's numbers. We need a couple things to break right for us. Uh, but that doesn't mean it hasn't been with it hasn't been a struggle or it hasn't taken unique efforts and energy, not just from the company, from my teammates all across the country, both agents and the platform, to put ourselves in a position just to tread water in terms of performance from last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we can we can dive into why we know it. It's uh, you know, interest rates increasing four or five hundred basis points in fifteen months. Right, will do that to us. But um, but yeah, it's. Um, it's been a lot. Uh, it's not just trying to keep deals alive or put them together or earn and win executable listings or, or assignments on the debt side. A lot of what I spend my time doing, weirdly enough, is is battling what uh, you know what I call despair creep. You know, when the market gets really nasty, is like GFC when you and I were going through it at at a, at, at at the company you're at now. Right. Um, I, I saw at the time, I experienced at the time, and I'm very aware of it now, even COVID for a minute, it's like despair creep. It's like despair starts creeping through the organization and kind right. of a hopelessness sets in. So a lot of my time and energy, or let me put it this way, a lot more time and energy than I've ever had to spend on this is just battling that hopelessness and battling that that desperation that can sink into uh, a, a capital markets organization when there just aren't a lot of deals. Right. And um I could tell I've never been more proud if I'm allowed to be proud of something. I've never been more proud of, of how my teammates have responded. Really, you know, we started to see it about middle of last year, that transaction collapse, and it really set in the fourth quarter of last year. So we're about 12 months into a really tough market, and you're seeing that yes. in the transaction volume reports coming out, you know, RCA or Green Street. But uh, the mental toughness and fortitude that the Matthews agents and platform support teammates have shown over the last 12 months has been incredible. It is, um, no disrespect to them. It is they're way better than I ever could have imagined. Um, they have a, an, an incredibly long-term and mature view of what they're going through, especially for being such a young organization with so many professionals that are in their first two, three years of their of their career, and for them to have the perspective that you and I have, because sure. I'll speak for myself, but you know, co-sign on this where it's you know, two thousand four, five, well, two thousand seven, eight, nine, when the market was falling apart, you know, I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is so bad, the market's terrible. But the, the older guys were like, no, no, this will be good long term. You just got to survive. But at the time, I was like, well, that's not true. What are you talking about? This is the worst it's ever been, and, and the GFC was really bad. But when you came out of it and you saw a lot of your competition was gone, the deals come back, and it's the, right. gold, the gold rush for guys like you and I, I would say your career, much like mine, that's when we really took off. Mm-hmm. We have that perspective. But anyone who's really been in the business less than 12 years, which is like a majority right. of our Most, of our peers, yeah, say 90%. they've yeah. never really been. COVID was a stop start. They've never been through something like this. But right. again, getting back to my teammates here at Matthews, the mental toughness and the the long-term view that so many young men and women have taken has been remarkable, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. That's great. No, it's good. And, you know, looking back and talking about subprime when that hit, you know, it was like a viper strike that literally happened overnight. I'll never forget, I was at the Commercial Real Estate Finance Conference. It's Actually, I think it's this week in Las Vegas. And with volume down, obviously, our team has chosen not to be there. But, 
you know, I remember that like Lehman Brothers goes down, all these things. Wild. And it was a Viper strike overnight. Yeah. This market right now, mm. where we're feeling, I've, I've related this a lot of the clients and talked to people where it's almost like a like an intoxicated boa constrictor that's that's choking yeah. you out. It's just that you know it's it's, it's slowly it's just choking, squeezing. It's just squeezing, and it's just yeah. the fortitude you have to have, you know. But it's great, and you probably become more of a morale coach with with a lot of the it, agents. That's a great way to put it. Morale coach. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take that from you. Take that, yeah. Take it and run with it. But that's what we're seeing right now. But it really just comes down to two things: it's activity level and skill set, and mm -hmm. that's what we're doing to persevere through this. And that's how you gain market share through these times. So going to the next question. So um, can you share a little bit about your outlook on interest rates and opportunities you see in the market going into 24 and maybe even 25, where we're going to have trillions of dollars of debt rolling in the next probably 12 to 24 months where the opportunities will be massive from? Yeah, well, I'm glad you you asked me that question because I did bring my crystal ball with me. Let me grab it real quick <laughs> over there. Oh. Oh, you know what? I forgot it. Zach, can we, uh, I'll, I'll get it later. No, um, I have to preface, I'm going to answer your question because I do have an opinion on this. Um, yeah. But preface is saying, hey, I know, I know just as much as you do. Okay. Right. Um, I will say there is a benefit to sitting on top of a machine like Matthews because, you know, we're closing, you know, probably two, 3,000 deals this year, just in, in some. And so, you know, while I don't know that much about any individual deal, I get to kind of see trends. So, uh, maybe I have a little more insight, but I, but again, all of these are predictions and I don't right. even know if you could call them educated guesses, just more guesses, but I'm going to answer your question now. So it is my opinion that the economy is going to take a turn for the worse starting now, right? Uh, or fourth quarter this year or first half of 2024, you have over a trillion of credit card debt for the first time in U.S. history, oh, yeah. okay? And, and think about the, the interest rates on the credit cards, right? Yeah. Um, you have your highest, I just saw this uh, on Twitter yesterday. And so I think it was credit highest credit card and auto loan defaults in 15 years, right? Just that, that, that just got breached. Um, student loan payments are restarting, I believe in October, if that's I'm not correct. mistaken, September, yes, that's October. Yeah. That's going to take a chunk out of spending. Um, how about this? They printed, let's call it $5 trillion as a response to COVID. Now, again, I get to armchair Monday morning quarterback and say the first one I understood, the last two were stupid, right. but it is what it is. They printed it. Yeah. Well, of that $5 trillion, about 2.9 kind of went into the economy more or less efficiently right away, but $2.1 trillion ended up in Americans' savings and their bank accounts is considered excess COVID savings is what they're calling it. So $2.1 trillion went into their bank accounts and was sitting there. It peaked in August of 2021. Starting in August of 2021, they started drawing on it. At, I think it was a rate of about $35 billion to December 21. In 22, they, they drew on it at a rate of $100 billion a month. And that, that moderated slightly this year in the first quarter, $85 billion a month. But as of March, this was a report put out a couple weeks ago by the San Francisco Fed. As of March, at the end of March, at the end of first quarter this year, there was $500 billion left, which is nice. a big number. But yes. we're not in the first quarter. We're in the third quarter. Right. And at $85 billion a month, it was projected that in the third quarter of this year, which is right now, as yes. you and I are sitting there, yes. like that just now, right. like they have officially tapped into all of the excess money that had been printed and they had put it to work. And right. so when you see all of these layers of uh, hurdles or or you know, kind of wind in the face of the American consumer. 
I, it is my opinion that we will see consumer spending uh, materially change for the negative. 100%. Again, third quarter into fourth quarter. Yes. Um, and I think that that will be reflected with negative GB, GDPs. It will be reflected with negative um, uh, jobs reports, monthly jobs reports. And I do think you will see us tip into recession. So your question was about rates. Right. And these are interconnected, right? Is entering a recession... I think that will uh, it will obviously have its effect on inflation. Um, again, Jerome Powell desperately wants to tame inflation without you know the soft landing without going into recession. I don't think they're going to do that. I don't think the recession will be terrible. But again, I'm, gi- I'm just giving you my opinion sure. here. No, that's that's all. And um, and they'll pivot and they'll pivot and they'll start cutting rates. And so that will bring rates down, which in my opinion will unlock some deal flow. In addition to the rolling debt that you that you touched right. on, the over tr- you know, trillion dollars over the next eighteen months, but what will be interesting, not to hedge against what I just said, what will be interesting would be the treasury markets because typically when there's recessions, not just the U.S., like the global economy tends to mimic the U.S. economy and a slowdown in both the U.S. and the global economy. There tends to be a flight to safety, which historically is U.S. Treasury, treasuries. Yes. And so I think that will put downward pressure on treasuries, which, you know, is the most commonly in used index for lenders in your world. And, correct. and correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that's correct. But what's going to be interesting is the upward pressures that's created by just the massive issuance of treasuries the U.S. government has to issue to pay its debt load, which is out of control. But it's yes. also much higher than they anticipated because of the yields that they're issuing these treasuries at. Yes. Servicing that, servicing that debt. That's happening also while the Fed is unwinding at what, you know, roughly 80, Nine, I think 90 billion a month, 90 roughly. billion a month. I obviously 80, 90 billion so that they're a, letting yeah. their treasuries and their, their uh, mortgage backed securities. They're just letting them mature and they're yes. just not buying new ones. Right. So quantity, you know, QT there, which that has effect. Plus the U S has to issue a lot of treasuries to service the debt. Yep. Again, that's going to battle against an increase in demand for treasuries because of what I believe will be. Um, a recession. And so it will be interesting to watch what happens with treasuries. I personally think they will float down. It's just not going to be as fast as maybe you and I hope hope they right. will. You and know, in, so. in them floating down, because they need to issue, and those are all excellent points, they have the to next issue. 90 days, they is, have to issue another trillion dollars. A trillion in just the next 90 so, days. Yeah. I saw I saw the 10-year before I walked in was at 430, and I was like, ah. Oh, right. You know. Exactly. At 430 right now, it's gone up in the last couple of months from you know, 370, 380 to 430. I mean, these are massive swings. So that speaks to the secondary market as well yeah. as who's buying it. You know, Japan, China, Saudi Arabia, and, and they're they're delevering them. They're they're uh, de, uh, what do you call it? Unwinding or deinvesting from um, from, U.S. from U.S. Treasuries relative to their historic positions. Correct. Yes. China, especially. Right. Who historically has had about a third of the treasury, yeah. and with them unwinding, not buying this, you know, the one thing that happens if you don't buy something, you know, as a treasury bill, you need to incentivize investors. You need to so increase that rate's the going yield. Up on the treasury. I mean, yeah. who knows what's happening here, but that's risky. And then the secondary market, as far as spreads go, you know, what that correlates. So the interest rate is a spread plus the treasury. That's what it's all yeah, about. Yeah. And spreads, to. spreads are interesting. And I think it's just, it's just, uh, that's a fun- function of, um, lenders just being spooked. You know, it's yeah. commercial real estate is, is a dirty word right now. I, I everywhere I read wall street journal, you know, Financial Times, real estate is a bomb waiting to go off. So first of all, there's just there's just that sentiment in the market. Sure. And then you have the FDIC messaging to them. They need to uh, bring their exposure to commercial real estate down. And so for right. them to actually make a loan to 
your and I's clients, like there has to be a lot of profit baked into that loan. And, and so Correct. you have a higher, you know, treasuries, higher Fed funds rates over LIBOR, and then you have higher spreads and it, and it, it makes debt incredibly expensive. Right. And, and sellers haven't gotten on board with these with these rate hikes and everything. No, I mean, and the cost you know, of capital. You ever told someone their kid's not perfect, right? right. Like <laughs> that's easier, right. exactly. Because I, I coach a lot of kids. I coach a lot of youth sports. Like I can only imagine being a teacher, right? Telling telling someone their kid isn't perfect or their kid isn't the best player on the field. Right. That's actually easier than telling an owner their property is not worth as much as they want it to. Right, exactly. So, you know, well, the owner they all just want to kick the can down the road, and every owner we're talking to. They're all, they all have the, the crystal ball. Like, yeah, funny you were saying we, we should, earlier. we should have some scotch right now. I feel like we're just <laughs> like, we're, we're com, commiserating. But every, what is it? Misery yeah. loved somebody, but, but also Dirk, thanks to, uh, people like you and professionals who went out and sourced, um, you know, interest rates at two, seven, five and three and three and a quarter. They have no motivation because they're like, well, I got this seven-year deal put on in uh, 2021. I guess I could hold it to 20. I'd love to right. sell it, but if it's not worth what I want it to be, um, you know. Yeah, so. no, it's um, it's going to be a challenge for sure. We put great debt on, but a lot of this debt's going to be rolling in the next couple of years. So. I hope so. I hope you advise everyone to take three and five-year debt, not seven and ten. Right. Well, I always <laughs> correlate the the debt period, the fixed period, to the length of holding you know, the ownership of the property. So. I always take as long as possible, unless there's some so material. There's that. Back. There's that. You 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 have maturities coming in 24. You have it coming in 25, and then six and seven, probably even more. Right. Um. So that will unlock the market. Like we're just going to get into price discovery. Uh, you're also seeing increased levels of distress. Like nothing like 2009, but it's coming. Yeah. I mean, oh, for sure. And cash is going to be just monumentally king if i could ever speak to that yeah because the capital liquidity problems that are happening in the lending institutions that will be financing commercial real estate over the next 12 to 24 months they may not have liquidity or capital because they're going to have to have heavy reserves if there is a true mark to mark that happens across the board of so lend, a lot of the borrowers think that oh we're just going to go ahead and um refinance our deal when rates come down next year or but the capital may not be there so we're trying no. to get our clients to be proactive but like as you've seen over the years, sometimes reactionary items happen. Going into the next uh, item here, Matthews has over 800 employees all around the country. Tell us a little bit about your approach to leading this large organization, and and you know what, especially during this time in transition with a lot of new brokers across the country. You know how are you giving them? You know focusing on two things that we do: activity level and skill set. You know how are you implementing that into your plan today? Yeah, I mean it's. It, 800 employees. We have, you know, probably if I had to guess 170 employees and over 600 agents, which are, you know, by way independent contractors, okay. but, but yeah, no, in the context of the organization, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's big, uh, one day at a time, brother, right. one day at a time. Uh, we, we aren't doing it. We, we don't do everything right. I think we, we make more good decisions than bad, Sure. but one, one compliment, um, I'll pay to the company is that, when we when we make a good decision, which can happen, we really lean into it. We lean into who we are. We lean into our culture. We lean into our systems, our processes, our coaching, our training, our attitude. Like we just we are who we are unapologetically us. But we also sometimes make mistakes. And one thing, and this is the compliment, we pivot quick. Like we say, ah, oh, that wasn't the right program. That wasn't the right training. That wasn't the right you know system. And we just we move fast. And and I've thought about 
And this is feedback I've got from people who've come into the organization from others. Like, man, you guys, like, again, you make a lot of good decisions, but when you make it bad, you just pivot quick. You don't, you don't spend a lot of time. Don't belabor on them. We the, don't belabor. We past. don't beat ourselves up. We don't beat up each other. We're like, yeah, right. hey, you know, it's a mistake. We're human. Right. And, and so it's that saying we never let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. But also I think part of it is my background as a defensive back at, at SC yeah. is like as a defensive back, you are going to get beat deep. You're going to get a bad PI call. And by the way, everyone in the stadium knows it was you because you're, you know, it's just <laughs> you and the receiver. And there's right. a saying in football, it's like, it's, it's just, you got to have a short memory. You sure. have to immediately forget the previous play. Right. Uh, not, not only if it's a good one, cause there's another play coming, but even if it's a bad one, there's another play coming. Sure. And so I think that mindset has permeated in a good way, this organization where Again, I'd like to think we've made a lot of good decisions looking back. Right. And that's great. You know, those are easy to celebrate. But sure. we make not everything we do works out. Not everything we do is executed the way we want it. And we just like, yeah, okay, that's that's life. That's right. called being human. Of course. And we pivot quick and we just, you know, we learn from from those mistakes or those decisions, but but we really don't dwell on it and we just keep moving forward, you know. Yeah. So uh as it relates to running the organization from a, you know, supporting the agents, uh, so much of our capital is, is invested back in the business. A lot like being an agent, you know, you got to invest right. back in your business 100%. With travel and conferences and client events and marketing mm -hmm. and all that. But yeah. again, the company is just a giant collection of agents right. in addition to our platform. So, you know, we approach it with that mindset. I, I, even though I am the CEO, I very much have an agent's heart. So I, I still feel like I speak the language and we invest tremendous amounts of capital back in our support platform. First of all, in just pure personnel and like right. the talent on the platform that supports the agents so they can stay out on the field making plays. They don't have to get bogged down in the minutia of brokerage and the production side or, right. you know, coordinating photographs for the listing or, you know, banging out a 10-year cash flow model. Like they'll make sure they set assumptions, but they just even creating the model, we have people do that for them. Right. So hiring talent and, and upgrading that at all times and providing that support platform investing and, and really reinvesting and constantly evolving our tech stack for the agents to create more efficient agents. Like, you know, and I'm sure we'll touch on these like agent dashboards, our, our, our Atlas, our CRM, click the sales, our, um, our client portals and really our, our, our project, the Gemini project Gemini we're working on right now, which is a new iteration of our database, which will be probably be out if I had to guess in nine to 12 months from now. Nice. It's just, it's just that it's just constantly sure. saying, how can we build a better house for our agents to live in? Right. Because if we can provide that awesome platform, that efficient platform, that tech forward facing platform, it's not just providing it to them. It's, it's really them providing it to the clients, right? Sure. And providing a better execution for the clients or just the data that we provide our agents, having that go from us to the agent, the agent to the client so that they either can share it with them or actually interpret it for them and say, this is what, in my opinion, it means. And this is, therefore, this is what you should be doing. Right. And so most of, most of my time and attention is thinking as an agent, going back into that play, uh, that period of time in my life from, you know, I'm 41. So let's say 22 to 36, 37 was kind of exit out deal making and just focused totally on the, on the company was what would, what would have, I call it the, wouldn't it be nice company? What, mm -hmm. when I was an agent, would I've said, man, wouldn't it be nice if I had wouldn't this? Be, wouldn't great. it be nice if they, if my company did that, right. wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to spend time here, but I actually could spend more of my time there. And, and we really approach it from a, let's think about the, wouldn't it be nices and right. let's see if we can invest and build those for the agents. Right now it's, it's a hundred percent. And 
time is something that is the most valuable resource right now. It that is. Teaching a Especially young Especially when you right don't now. get paid by the hour, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. That's 100%. The value of your time is a concept that as an agent, you learn real quick. Right. And it's great that you have that resume as being a top agent to be able to implement that now as a CEO to your agents. It helps. It helps. I, I think that certainly provides additional credibility. Um, you know, so if I say, hey, an eight to any agent or collection of agents or the company, hey, you should be doing this. I would say an increased percentage of agents will do it as opposed to, an, you know, another said brokerage company where the executive or the managing director or whoever, whoever's coaching them maybe sure. didn't either do any brokerage or they just never hit the heights that, you know, sure. I'd like to think I did as a, as an agent. hundred percent. Um, but, but really the value is my ability to get into their, their, their mindset is to say, Hey, I lived that life for a long time instead of, you know, trying to interpret what might be valuable. I know right. what's valuable. And then the question is two things, just do we have the capital to build it? And can we build it? That's right. it. And most of the, the answer, can we is almost always yes. And that's just the timing. Is it something we can do in three months or three years? And then the capital, capital is just capital allocation is do we build a new technology? Do we hire more people? Do we open a new office? Do we put it into additional cash, cash reserves? Like that's more of a, right. that's, that's a traditional CEO role that, that is part of my job. But again, a lot of my job is, is, you know, kind of, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's putting myself back in men mentally back in the shoes of an agent saying, man, what, sure. wouldn't it be nice especially to starting have out, you know, oh, especially yeah, without a doubt, you know, with that right now, especially in this market, starting out again, going back to activity level and skill set, I think it's priceless. And obviously just go into the next part here, technology. Um, I don't want to belabor the point here, but you leverage technology to the upteenth degree mm -hmm. and it's obviously proven to be very successful because efficiency, right. And effectiveness is obviously, uh, paid off for you and the firm. So just maybe just the high level and technology yeah. and how you're leveraging that, especially for the younger brokers who are really tech savvy. And I think the younger people who are going to be inheriting commercial real estate over the years to come are going to be all based yeah, on Yeah, including tech. ownership. Um, look, I'm going to answer your question. I'll start by um, we have an advantage here. And the advantage is you touched on it in the, in the intro, the bio, is Matthews was founded in 2015. And if you think about the technology in 2015, when I founded the company versus, uh, when was Marcus founded? I believe it was 1971. Okay. Right. Yes. Think about that. So, and I'll just use them as example. I mean, CB, JLL, they're, they're over a hundred years old. And right. so what happens is, and let me just use the company you're at, Marcus, is in 1971, they found a company. There's only so much technology. As technology is implemented, they introduce it and the technology in 1995 is what it was or 2000 is what it was. And you have a bunch of agents who come up in the business with that technology and they become highly successful because at the time that was great technology. And now as new technology is rolled out, you have a giant chunk of, of any brokerage company, not put Matthews aside with right. a bunch of respectfully agents like yourself who've been doing it 20, 30, 40 years who make, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year and they have their system. They have their ways that work really well from, they work off an Excel sheet, right? They're still on, what was it? Act or goldmine or that. No, oh, I, I mean, the they probably <laughs> update uh, their only upgrade was to Apto or some, you know, super rudimentary right. Salesforce skin, you or know, just that, three by five cards, three by know? five cards. Right. But, and, and so if I were to all of a sudden snap my fingers and I'm the CEO at Marcus and Millichap, I said, Hey, well, there's a better way. And I go to, 
you know, Johnny senior in, in whatever office. And I say, Hey, we're going to switch everything you do because it's going to be cloud-based. It's going to be super tech uh, heavy and it's going to be highly efficient. They're going to be like, no fucking way, man. Right. No right. way. <laughs> I make yeah. two, three, four million bucks a year. I'm not changing anything. And if you don't get buy-in from the top producers, you're not going to get buy-in from the new producers because a lot of them work in these kind of yes. team structures, right? right? 100%. And so, again, all of this gets back to like, yes, we are, I would argue, the most technology-focused company in our space. But a lot of that is just because we started eight years ago. So sure. when I started the company, I said, okay, like database? Like, yeah, let's have it cloud-based. Let's have the biggest, the biggest thing we did was every single agent plugs into one system. Notes are private. There's protections to make sure, you know, agents don't have to worry about data being shared if they don't, you know, they can turn on and off permission, you know, sure. sharing permissions, all that. But generally sure. speaking, everyone working in one system, the amount of data available to the company, which we then provide back to the agents, something right. as simple as you go in that you get an offer from, you know, some buyer or you get a, a term sheet from a lender, you just go in the system and you could see every offer that person's ever made and every deal they've ever gone on a contract. You could see how they operate once you go under contract. You can call your right. teammates around the country. It's like, hey, I see you've gone under contract three times with this buyer and all three times they haven't performed. Like, tell me about it. Right. Just little things like that that allow you to be a much better broker. Which and is priceless because historically, every broker is like standing well, by the on, printer or the on. fax machine. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's unique to where you're at. Um, but- historically, and when you say, or I say historically, I mean like today, right. almost every broker or broker's team is still operating on their little, their little database. Like, Hey, we got 10, 20,000. Well, Matthew says 1.3 million. Wow. And whether you're, it's your first day here or you're a 20 year vet coming over, you're like, wait, cause so I can, I can market to these people. I can access it. Yeah. Subject to segmentation. Like if they on our online forum said, I don't want to see your product, they're not going to see it. You right. know, we manage our unsubscribes that way. But yeah, generally speaking, it is there. Right. The market is there for you. It increases exposure. It's a great selling story as to why you should be hired. But that, anyway, you're talking about technology. The first thing we did, the, the first decision I made, and frankly, I did, I'm not, I don't have this, you're going to joke about the crystal ball. I don't have this amazing foresight. I just, it was me, it was six or seven younger agents, and I didn't want to deal with everyone on their system. I, I, I had my database. I was like, well, right. just plug into mine. And then it just iterated and became what it is today, which is Atlas. That's great. You know, uh, embedding technologies to where when buyers, lenders, whoever it is, depending on your service, your the service you're providing, anytime they open your email, click your email, download, whatever, depending on how you want to set your alert per, uh, alert provisions, like, sure. um, or excuse me, alert per permissions, you're going to get alerts immediately, which kind of allow you to see out into the market, see through your computer and out onto that, you know, metaphorical car lot to see who's looking at the cars and go out and meet them out at the product you're, you're trying to sell them and right. say, hey, let me tell you about this product. Let me let me tell you why you should consider lending to this borrower yes. as opposed to just hoping that my email sells you on it or right. from the investment sales. Let me tell you why you should buy this real estate. Because if not, you're just hoping that your flyer sells it. Right. That's what you're really doing. I mean, you're, you're fishing in the dark versus putting a big spotlight on the ocean. Now you're looking you at know the what? fish I, that are coming uh, by the hook. A fish finder. Yeah. We got a fish finder. Right. Right. It doesn't That's mean you're going to catch it, but you know they're down there. You know they're down there. Right. And you know what depth they're at, and you kind of maybe even know what size they're at. Yes. It, you still got to have the right lure, you know? Yes. But yeah, we got a fish finder. Um, automated BOVOM builders, uh, investor predictor. Like we have a, we have a technology embedded in our system where 
the principal, I don't want to call it buyer, borrower, whatever it is, like depending on their activity on our website, it starts with an algo ranking and scoring them. It's like, well, if they've clicked on, you know, 30 or more multifamily, you know, buildings in Orange County in the last 30 days, their score starts increasing, which they then get on to put on a logical buyer's list for the next agent who lists a deal in Orange County. And a lot of those buyers, they respectfully, they should already know, but some of yeah. them, they didn't. And no, that's again, smart. That's really they're, smart. they're in the dark, they're clicking around. We just, we shine a light on it. That's great. Um, agent dashboards to manage marketing, automated marketing updates, push to clients. Like again, if efficiency to right. give agents their time back so they can do what they've been hired to do, which is execute on the assignment. Yep. No, I think it's priceless technology today. If you're not using it, especially just me, just starting this podcast, you know, I don't know, nine, 10 months ago now, you know, it's, I think it's imperative to get the word out there, and it's great that you're leveraging that as well. Um, I know you recently wrapped up Matthews University. This summer was a huge training for a lot of young men and women all over the country to come in and train and see commercial real estate, you know, really from the forefront, from yourself, other management, and uh, your other brokers and agents here. How did that How did that go, and was it very successful? And yeah, I mean, it was the best one yet. This is our future. Right. right. We're, we're, you know, it's a cliche saying we're investing in our future. Like, no, I meant legitimately investing in our future. These are our future teammates, future agents, future top producers, future platform teammates, f- future legends, right? Legends only is the, is the, the tagline at Matthew. So, and, and keep in mind what, what's interesting is, is it's 60 days, it's 115 modules. There's quizzes after every one. So we have knowledge retention. There's a big test you have to pass. So we, it's a, it's a serious deal. It's a serious deal. That's great. I personally run a lot of trainings. Our president, Dave Harrington, we compete every year to see who can run more trainings. Like this is not, you know, Hey, sign in to the portal and watch a video and take a test. Like this is a super right. active training. I know we were talking Good. offline, you know, the summer tour, I went and toured all 20 plus of our offices and personally ran a training at every one, sometimes two or three in a day. It was, it was, wow. it was exhausting. That is exhausting. But uh, I'm glad it's over. Right. Yeah. But, um, but hopefully that benefits and that's going to grow. Those that, are all the listen, seeds you plant. That, that's the, the garden, that's right? the idea. That's the idea right. is, is if I didn't think it there was a, there were a benefit, I promise I wouldn't blow up my summer like that. So, yeah. um, but what's also interesting and we've started to see this as we've been older, right. As we've been around longer mm-hmm. is, there are, you know, we had 420 people go through Matthews U this year, about half interns, half new hires, okay? Wow. Matthews University. And not every intern, uh, I would argue every intern had a great experience. Like I, the, we, we have them do these surveys at the end and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, again, maybe they're just mailing it in. Yeah, it was great. Love it. Like, can I go now? Yeah. But every single one is positive. Because we good. pour so much time and energy and effort. And I think even at a young age, they, especially with other internships they compare to, they're like, this was incredible. And we have a lot of fun. That's we great. keep them engaged. We don't just put them in a corner and say, like, fi- right. you know, file some papers and Go grab get coffee. my coffee over there. Go yeah, wash my car. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> That's funny. I still make my own no. coffee. That's right. <laughs> but no, but um, but not everyone, especially the interns, are going to say, hey, when I come back, can I get into brokerage and be in brokerage at Matthews. Right. A lot of them, I, I might say half fall in love and they like, not only is this what I want to do, this is what I do. So it's a great kind of future recruiting pipeline for us. But there's also a lot who say, Hey, this was an amazing summer. I learned a ton. But one of the things I learned is brokerage is not for me. Right. It's, it's too hard. The hours are too long. Uh, or I just, it's just not where my enthusiasm lies. But a lot of them do go into real estate. They go, right. they go be an analyst for you know a principal. They be go be a development associate. They go into the lending side. And in my opinion, and this was not part of the reason why we started the program, but it certainly 
been a value add is there's a lot of good juju out in the uh, real estate universe for Matthews because every day there are more and more people in our industry who are like, oh yeah, I did I did an internship at Matthews. Like right. it was awesome. I love. I, I didn't choose that. Sure, but it was awesome. And and unfortunately, as you know, people quit our business. Yeah, there's. 300 new agents that we've hired this year. If you can imagine this or not, not everyone's going to stay in brokerage, right? right. Uh, yeah, majority probably won't over, over right. five or six years. But my hope is that the, the time and energy and effort we put into coaching and training them, even if they say at some point they tap out and say, hey, brokerage isn't for me, that they still look back and say, you know what, but I really love my time at Matthews. I learned a ton. I learned about discipline. I learned about work ethic but I learned about real estate right. and I'm going to stay in real estate. I'm going to go do something else, but I'm going to stay in real estate. And yeah. I will always have love for Matthews. Cause I gotta, in my, in my heart of hearts, I gotta think that puts my teammates out on the field in a position to win more business. Um, whether it's in a year, two years, five years, 10 years from now, they, they cold call some owner and they go meet with them and right. they're pitching them on Matthews. And the owner goes, Hey man, I know Matthews. I actually did an internship or I actually worked there for a year and I love it. I love Matthews. Yeah. I know what you bring now. They're going to interview them individually, but my hope is that there's a lot of good energy, a lot of good juju out there. That's great. Well, I'm, I'm so happy. And obviously the firm's been very successful. And the nice thing about real estate, it's so dynamic, even if they don't retain as agents, maybe they go into leasing or appraisal or whatever. There's so many different facets, Anything. which is great. Um, you know, kind of going into one of our last points here is, you know, my favorite part of the show is talking about your career highs and most importantly, maybe a low of your career or life and how you jumped back and got back to that, you know, from that standpoint of time. Yeah. Uh, in the order that you asked highs, uh, uh, a career high or like a deal, like, like a deal that I remember, you know, anything, you know, people, a lot of you know, young people watching the show, they look at you like, okay, Kyle, CEO of this major company, he's grown mm -hmm. this, he's been a great top agent. Now he's grown this company. Wow. You know, what, what was his best part? And then they want to know what's that lowest part of your life or career. And most importantly, how you got back. I would say, I'll, I'll just focus on the first half of my career, which was being an agent, um, being the top producer at Collier's International, which is the company I was at at the time, um, in 2014, 2015, I left uh, just, and I told the story before they were going public and just a lot of the policies were changing. But in 2014, uh, when I was at the first company I was at, um, I was coming up, I thought I was doing well and, um, huge compliment, but they said, Hey, we think you are a great coach. You're a great mentor. We see how you are with your mentees. Like we would like to invite you to the executive leadership track, like going to, sales leadership, sales management, which again, it was a huge compliment. That's an honor. It was, it was a, it's yeah. an honor. And it, it really, it was very um, fulfilling for me to hear that. Even sitting there in the moment as I processed what they were asking. Um, but I just, there was unfinished business. You know, I, I, when I got into brokerage, I said, I want to be the number one agent. And at the time I defined it as the number one agent at the company I was at, which, you know, starting sure. was, was your company. And of then, course. you know, again, there was a, there was a move there in between and then eventually Collier's. And I just said, Hey, like I'm flattered. Like truly I am like this. I'm, I'm I've tremendous gratitude for, for this conversation. Uh, there's no greater compliment you could pay than to say those things, but I'm just not, not ready. I, the reason is I want to be the number one agent. Right. And until I achieve that, I don't think that I'm ready for this. Uh, I, don't, I think I'll always look back and say, well, what could I have been? 
And he said, uh, Kyle, like, you're never going to be the top agent ever. Wow. Yeah. And uh, again, he complimented me um, on why. He said, you're a family guy. You know, you value time with your wife and kids. Like, to be the top agent, you you have to sacrifice a lot and oftentimes personal relationships and that. And, and he's like, I think you care too much about your loved ones. And it was, again, very, very nice compliment. But he said, you're not going to be, you'll never be the number one agent. And it hit I was like, all right, motherfucker, like it's on. <laughs> and I'll tell you, like, I was driving home that night, steam coming out of my ears. I went home and told my wife, I said, this motherfucker just said this. Like, oh, I hit, an- I hit another level of motivation okay. that, that next day. And, you know, that was probably 2011. Okay. My career took off. I mean, right. I, again, I was doing well, but... Um, so, uh, being the number one agent, uh, globally at a much bigger company for that matter, right. I was going to take a picture of the award and sign it and send it to my number one fan. Sometimes those criticisms help you. No, 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 no. It it may be launched. So it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I don't want to say I owe it all to that, but I owe a lot like that. Okay. I consider myself a motivated human. Yes. You know, just inherently naturally, I consider myself someone who has just a a foundation of motivation. That kicked it into a whole nother gear. And for right or for wrong, I've, I'm motivated by doubt. I think a lot of high achievers are. And I said, this guy doubts me. And he was very, very clear about it. And um, it's as you get older and you get more perspective, you start to quick, you're quicker to recognize why it's silly to do something to prove someone else wrong. It yes. should be, it really should be about, you know, you competing against yourself and the best version of who you could be. But Correct. at the time, you know, being whatever I was, 28, 29 years old, oh, I was a, I was an right. easy target, easy mark. It was a, a nice huge turning point. Of your it career. was a big turn. It was an accelerator. I'd like to think that I was tracking well, but it's okay. like, you know, the line bent really vertical after that. And sure. So that was a big moment. Um, you know, that was a really big moment in my career. I'd say a really tough time. I'll just use a deal. I was, um, so as, as much success as I had, I had that in the opposite amount of success early on. Like it's no mystery. I tell anyone I meet oftentimes cause I'm trying to say, Hey, like you are doing better than I, even though you don't, you aren't where you want to be. I promise you're way ahead of where I was at your stage of, of career. Right. So I didn't close a deal for 17 months. That's how bad I was at the business. I, how little I knew about real estate, how little I knew about sales, how little I knew about listening how little I knew about underwriting. Like Is I was this just, when you just started in the career. Yeah. Just yeah. Start, got it. Just, yeah. Okay. So October, no 2004. Okay. And I closed my first deal. Like I think it was March, 2006. So wow. 17 months, I, I want to say, um, I was just really bad. And that market 2004, six was incredible, which right. like, really booming. drives home how bad I was. Wow. And it's okay. okay. It is what it is. You yeah. know, I learned, okay. um, but I was not good. And nobody hired me. And the, the three listings they hired me, the only reason they did is because I was the only idiot willing to take a listing that high. None of them sold. So I expired my first three deals. Okay. Um, but finally, I had this big deal under contract. It was, a, you know, don't quote me on this, 7 million, four point fee, it was 280,000. I had another agent with me. So, you know, half would be booked to him, half to me. So that's 140. And I was on a 50 50. So I'd net 70 grand, like life changing right. money. Yeah. Life changing. Yeah. And pays I, off the credit cards. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. And so I was about 12 months in at the time and it was non-refundable, half a million hard, $7 million deal. Like this is closing. It was 2006. Market's still really good. And the buyer just out of nowhere called. And he's like, I talked to one of the tenants. They're not doing well. Like, you know, I don't like this deal. I feel like the seller's trying to pull one on me. Like I'm blowing out. And, and I was like, well, 
um, the guy's name was Shaul Levy. I said, Shaul, like you, you can't, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm like, you can't, you have half a million hard. You're going to lose that. He goes, no, I'm not losing that. He's like, if you, uh, you know, if you don't return the deposit, I'm going to sue the seller. I'm going to sue you. And it was oh, just, great. and I, you know, I don't know what that even means. I just know it's bad. It like means my the stomach drops. Win. Attorneys always win. <laughs> right. And, uh, I called the seller is Bob Sonnenblick, Sonnenblick Del Rio. I was like, Bob, like Chow just said this. And he's like, you know what? Screw him. I don't even want to sell it. Like, this is a great deal. Um, I'll return the money, like tell him to, you know, go F himself, whatever. And this was like the day before Thanksgiving in 2005. So yeah, I was in the, in the business 13 months Okay. and the deal falls out. It's like November, whatever, 25th. And I was just sitting on the couch, like this sucks. Right. And it was, it was a really dark point. It was a low point. Okay. Again, the point where you were maybe thinking this what, business wasn't no, for no, me. no, no. See that that is what most people think. Okay. I will not quit. I talk all about right. it all the time, you know, because if you quit, you're a quitter. Yeah, I don't need to keep hitting on that. But um, I wasn't going to quit. It, the reason it was so hard on me is because I knew I wasn't going to quit. Is because I had no, there was no other choice for me than to just, you know, work my way through it and just keep battling. And I just was like, I don't know how. I, I thought it might be another 12, 18 months before I closed the deal. Right. Like I just wasn't going to quit. But the reality of just how hard of a profession I had chosen had really sunk in in that moment. Okay. And, you know, the good news of the worst deal story is I ended up selling that deal three years later for way more money for the seller. He right. was right. He's like, screw sure. this guy. We sold it for way more. We had a great fee. Um, but, yeah, it, it just in that time, that was – it just was – it was – you can have low points. I, I tell people all the time, like, you can have a low point. But that doesn't have to be attached to quitting something. Right. Like whether it's your friendships, your marriage, your parenting, or whether it's it's a business partnership or a specific investment or just the general arc of your career, the odds are all of those will have a low point. And sometimes it feels like multiple low points, but you don't necessarily say, hey, this is really hard. Maybe I should stop doing it. it, right. it those don't have to be directly tied to each other. Yeah, no. And your perseverance paid off, right? And Sometimes it's very hard in this career in, in real estate to know when to cut that bait, right, and say, okay, move on or keep persevering. You obviously have paid off. It persevered. You went on, sold that deal, made fiduciary yeah. responsibility. You made yeah. more money and for the you, seller. You know, you think about it, and I'm not saying everybody would have quit in my circumstance, like, oh, I'm this tough guy. I don't think that's the question. But I know some people would have. And I always think about how many other, how many others out there would have done what I did in this industry if they just didn't quit. Right. I think there's a lot of them. And we'll oh, never know sure. who they are because it's not now we're dealing in hypotheticals. Right. But I know Next having, show is where are they now? We'll I know <laughs> I yeah. I know I don't have enough time to track that, but I right. know having been in the chair at Matthews, right, that hundreds, hundreds, probably in the thousands one day, but hundreds of candidates that quit in their first or second year that I swear to God, like measure me up to them. They right. are way more talented. They are, they know way more about real estate. They are at the time of me, like right. they, they, they had way more inherent sociability and sales talent. They knew way more about real estate. They were better looking. They worked just as hard, but they just quit. And right. I said, man, there's hundreds of those that if they had never quit, I would love to see this parallel life that they would have kept living where yes. they have this amazing career and they, they're creating generational wealth and they have that work-life balance that they probably quit for. Yes. And they, 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 they get to dictate the terms, at least financially and professionally, they get to dictate the terms of the rest of their life because they didn't quit in that dark moment. Right. Well, it takes that mental stamina that is just, yeah. it's an eight and it comes down to grit and it really comes down to, do you have that perseverance or do you not? You Agreed. Know? And that's... 
it's something you can't train. It's something that, that burns in your belly within. Yeah. So I would agree um, with that. Yeah. So, you know, kind of wrap things up here. Um, maybe a twofold question, maybe the greatest lesson you learned over your career, number one. And then finally, where do you foresee Matthews in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months as far as, you know, success rates, market share, even going through these bumpy times? Yeah. So those are two different questions. Let me unpack them. It's a, let me start with the greatest lesson is simply put, if you put in the work over a long period of time, this career will reward you. Like real estate as an industry will reward you. Maybe not over a year or two or three, but certainly over 10, 20, and 30. And now yes. for young professionals, it sounds like a long time when you get to our age. It's, right. not, it's not as long, or at least it, right. it flies by. Yes. I, I wish it was longer, right? Right. But if you put in the work in commercial real estate, this industry will reward you. This industry always finds a way to show love to entrepreneurs, right? It always finds a way to reward that grit and reward right. that toughness and reward that ingenuity and reward the people who just never give up and keep moving forward no matter the circumstances. So right. that is that is a truth of this industry. I will sure. argue it as a truth and as a fact to anyone who wants to battle me on that. There are no victims in commercial real estate in the United States. Like It is a blessing to be in this industry. Yes, It has no ceiling. The only ceiling is how much time you got in your day, right? right? And you're and allowed the, to create wealth. You like what other industry can wealth, you go in and learn wealth. from the best of the best? And, and not wealth. just yeah. create wealth for yourself, create wealth for your clients. And by creating wealth for your clients, you create wealth for yourself. Your clients become your friends, like yes. genuine friendships. Hundred percent. We're all, you know. Look, I'm not brokering deals. There, there are owners. I, I don't. I'm not selling real estate, but I'm actually probably closer to them now than I was when I was doing. Like because over time, you develop these Correct. relationships. Cause if you're a driven, motivated young entrepreneur right. and you're working with driven, motivated entrepreneurs, the odds are you have a lot in common. You actually have a reason to, to be close and have that, right. have that relationship evolve into something way more than just transactional. Right. So, but the answer to the question is if you put in the work, you're going to be rewarded. It reminds me of that Dave Ramsey quote, which is, you know, if you, you have to live like no one does so you can live like no one does. Right. And it, it just, I think the biggest issue with this industry is the mismanagement of expectations as it relates to time it takes to get rolling. Like a lot of people come in and I'll speak from the brokerage side. doesn't matter if you're in, you know, debt origination, leasing sales, whatever the capital markets is they come in, it's like, okay, I'm going to grind for a couple years and then it's going to, you know, it's going to be good. It's like, no, it's not a couple <laughs> years. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's a long time. It's seven, it's 10, it's 12, it's right. 15. And, and maybe your skills, maybe you're intelligent, maybe your inherent EQ will accelerate or decelerate those timelines. Right. But it's not two or three years, but it's also not 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Right. I always say like, if you, if you can hang in there and you could keep working 15 years from now, you're gonna look back and say, that was the best decision I ever made. And you will probably in a, be, a, be in a position, let me just pick a number by 40, again, financial independence and to dictate, as I say, dictate the professional and financial terms of your life moving forward. Again, personal, that's a, that's a different conversation, but, sure. but, life it, happens. but again, you gotta, you gotta, in order to live that life, you gotta live this life. And this right. life is really tough when you're, when you're getting rolling, when you're getting, yes. when you're getting going in the business. hundred percent. And then the goals, uh, for Matthews, right. Is, uh, stay on offense. You know, the natural tendency for a leader, for a, for a broker, for anyone, is when times are get tough, you kind of go into that shell position, you get defensive. Defensive for a company is cutting staff, layoffs, right? right. Uh, I think every public, every it's not inevitable. Every public company, I want to say in Q3 last year announced layoffs. And so we're 12 months into their layoff cycle 
Um, it's it's not inevitable. I mean, respectfully, a lot of those public companies have hundreds of millions of dollars of cash. They do not need to do that. They they do it because they're rewarded in a very perverse way by the by the markets because they the 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 larger chunkier institutional buyers of publicly traded stock brokers company they reward companies that show they're 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 making adjustments to the changing market. So mm-hmm. I, I get it, and there's no judgment. I'm just saying, right. for us, it's to stay on offense because the 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 gut reaction of anyone is to tighten up. Is there an agent okay? Don't go to that conference. Don't don't do that marketing. Don't don't hire that person. Don't travel to see that client. Don't do that client event, you know. Or hey, there aren't a lot of deals out there. You know, maybe now is the time that I, I work on my golf game, or I you know I I travel more. And actually, in tough markets is when you should be on offense more than any other time. I, I equate brokerage to farming. You know, I live outside Nashville, right. so I drive by farms. I'm not a farmer, but I drive yes. by them, and you learn so much driving by farms. Right. is most of the work on a farm is done in the winter and early spring when the weather sucks. That's right. when they're tilling the soil, they're fertilizing, they're they're getting the rows ready, they're even planting the seeds. Right. So that when the sun comes out metaphorically in brokerage when the market unlocks, it just grows. Right. It, you you are rewarded with food, you know, in, in sticking with the the analogy from the work you did when you couldn't grow anything, it's like you will be rewarded in brokerage in 25, 6 and 7 because of the hard work you put in in 22, Correct. three, and four. 100%. And that's what I learned in the GFC. I didn't know it at the time. I was just, as I say, I was the only idiot dumb enough not to stop working. And I was like, I'm just going right. to keep moving. And then in 2011, 12, 13, 14, the gold rush, I, lo- I was like, man, where's all this business coming from? I look back, oh, it's because I was, again, I was the only guy dumb enough to keep to keep meeting with owners and keep providing them information, keep underwriting deals, even though you know pre-GFC, you might present four BOVs to earn a listing and post-GFC, you might have to pr- present 20 to earn a listing, but I just, I just kept rolling, right. you know? And, uh, and this is the time to gain market share. The, this is what the, it's all this about. Is it. So, so this is what happens is the deals go away. Then the brokers go away. Right. The deals come back, but the brokers don't come back right away. Right. And there's, and that's to your point, you hit it. That's market share. And so what happens is in a bad market, you grab that market share, you go from two to four or four to eight or five to 10. And you're you, okay. I had 10% market share in my territory or, or I got 20, like I'm dominant. Right. Right. You get to take that market share back into the good markets because the deals come back. And I always say the brokers don't, not the ones you're competing with. Most of them are gone. Now, new, new people will, will come into the business when the market gets frothy, like they always do. But they're, they're 5, 10, 15 years behind you, right. and it's hard for them to catch up. Yes. And um, that, that's the lesson that I learned at GFC. That's, that's how we're approaching whatever we're going to call this you know, dark period is, is for us, we have to stay on offense. So offense for us is continuing to invest in our support platform, is continuing to build better and better technology to create efficiency for the agents. Right. It's continuing to open offices and, and add good teammates. It's just what we do. It's like great. we keep moving forward. Well, it's great you're continuing to grow in these times because they are challenging and the, the headwinds are there. They are. But perseverance and the grit like we talked about. You, you know, I took a sailing class, no judgment at USC. I needed like two credits to graduate. <laughs> Again, I even though I played football, I took my school seriously, but this That's was funny. it was a sailing class. Yeah. And and I don't remember much of it. I did go. But I do remember I, I remember learning in the class that you could sail into headwind. And I thought the concept was wild. Like what do you mean you can you can move forward even though the wind's pushing I mean it's a sailboat. It the wind right. pushes you where you go, right? It's like right. no you can sail forward even in a very aggressive headwind. You just have to zig and zag. You got to go right and then you go left. Exactly. So it's not this straight line to this beautiful place you want to end up no. at. You got to work really hard 
You got to work harder than you ever had as a sailor to yep. go slower than you ever have as a sailor, but you can still make progress moving forward in your life or in a sailboat. Yeah. Just leverage the wind. You, you just, you, it's just, uh, you can still move forward in life even when you got a really strong headwind. And, right. and that, that is the lesson I would share with anyone in commercial real estate today, whether you're a principal, whether you're a broker, whatever it is, I don't care if you're a title officer, you know, or an escrow officer, yeah. it's, it's you, your career. This is your career. Yeah. Sometimes the wind is at your back and sometimes it's at your face. When it's at your back, enjoy it. You go fast. You don't have to work that hard. And right. I'll tell you, you're not as good as you thought you were in 21. And right now, you're not as bad as you think you are in 23. The wind's blowing heavy right into your face. You got to work really hard to make very little progress. But I promise you, you're, create, you're, separating and cre you're separating yourself and you're creating distance between you and your competitors that when that wind turns around and gets behind you again, you're yes. going to launch out of this thing. Oh, yeah. An inch today was a mile in 2021. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. This was excellent. Hopefully the viewers really enjoyed the show and we're very thankful to have you. I wish you continued success and I hope Matthews just keeps kicking butt. And so um, we're very thankful for the opportunity to work together. It's all good. Thanks for coming out yeah. to Nashville. I'm, I'm happy to have you as yes. a, as a, a part-time uh, neighbor from thank, time to time. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a great show. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks.